0: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 48 of Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast where myself and Matt Kelly take a deep dive into a compliance related topic. Today, we go into the weeds to discuss the recently released Halliburton FCPA enforcement action by the Securities and Exchange Commission. We take a look at the underlying facts, consider the internal controls, failures, violation, circumvention, and override. We talk about the penalties, and we consider what are the lessons to be learned from this most interesting FCPA enforcement action. It's a fascinating discussion of what happens when a company allows internal controls to be circumvented and overridden literally at all levels of an organization. The episode comes in at about 25 minutes. This is Tom Fox. Thank you for listening. Compliance into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox again, back with Matt Kelly for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Matt is back from a sojourn in eastern Canada where he has refreshed, recharged, and come back raring to go. So with that, we today wanted to go deep into the weeds around the Halliburton FCPA enforcement action with the Securities and Exchange Commission that came out late last week. So Matt, uh, hopefully you're rested, tanned, and ready to go into the weeds today.
1: I am, you know, I take one week off and look what happens here. The SEC comes out with a big enforcement action on the FCPA. Catching me catching me by surprise. But here we are.
0: <laughs> so here we are. So uh, do you want to go through the facts or do you want me to?
1: Um I can go through some of the facts as I know them although um, like I said I was only paying attention to this catching up yesterday and today so if I'm forgetting any I will probably need your help but I I know that To a certain extent, this seems like a standard issue FCPA enforcement violation came from Halliburton, uh, where there was uh, some sloppy third-party oversight that led to uh, accounting controls and internal controls, policies, and procedures that Halliburton had, which did not work. Uh, The details of it are, I think, roughly from about 2009 through 2011, Uh, Halliburton's vice president, who was in charge of Angolan operations in Africa. The Angolan government had told Halliburton it could not proceed with a large project because Halliburton was not working with enough local Angolan businesses. So Halliburton's vice president, uh, a man named Jean Lorenz, I believe. um, uh, Lorenz was tasked with finding these local partners in Angola. And wound up deciding to work with somebody who was a former Halliburton employee in Angola who lived next door to the government minister who was going to be awarding these contracts that Halliburton wanted. Um, We have all sorts of quirky policy and procedure violations, such as, for example, Halliburton was supposed to start with what is the scope of work that we want to fulfill in a local market? And then let us go and have a competitive process to find the local partner. Essentially, Mr. Lorenz here ran this in reverse, where he started with the local partner that he wanted, who, of course, lived next door to the government agent who would be approving these things. Uh, but they found the local partner they wanted and then basically reversed engineered a contract to fit um, I know that ultimately this wound up with what I thought was a fairly big fine for internal control violations, that uh, it was a total of 29 million, that is 14 million in uh, ill-gotten profits that had to be disgorged, and 14 million in civil penalties, which of course might intrigue us because in the deregulatory world we supposedly live in under Donald Trump, all the cynics, Would assume that we are not going to have civil penalties anymore for misconduct. I don't know that that's true because here we are with a, you know, 50-50 between profit disgorgement and civil penalties, and um, that's painful. And I mean, certainly for Halliburton, I know that they've paid a lot of money in the past, but you would think if you wanted to be cynical about the Trump administration, we would not have any penalties at all. This is a sizable thing for what we would expect these days, this is the first FCPA violation we've seen settled, I think, under the new SEC chairman, Jay Clayton. Uh, and Mr. Lawrence himself wound up with a $75,000 personal penalty he had to pay. I'm sure we can get into more details after that, but Tom, that was my take on the facts. Have I forgotten anything?
0: There's a couple of other things I wanted to add. Really, the f- the yep. first one was, Matt, that it turned on the requirement that Halliburton, as an oil field service company, was required by local Angolan law to have what they called local content in any contract with the national oil company Sonegal. And I think that's important mm-hmm. because that is not an unusual requirement in contracts with many third, second, and sometimes even first world countries. Uh, you often have a local content requirement. Uh, sometimes you have to put money back into the local economy in other ways. But having that sort of requirement is not not unusual. And uh, energy companies, pharmaceutical companies, telecom companies are going to have to navigate uh, that requirement uh, really in any contract with a, a state-owned enterprise or a national, uh, nationally-owned company such as Sonagal. So uh, for that reason, I thought it was uh, instructive and useful for a compliance practitioner because many are going to face that uh, issue. Um, and in terms of the um, route that Halliburton went through to have the local agent approved, uh, they initially thought of sending this person uh, through the what they call their commercial agent uh, process or internal control regime. And that's uh, mm-hmm. uh, what I would call an agent on the sales side as opposed to an agent uh, from the supply chain side of things uh, to help the company make sales. And that um, attempt was uh, it wasn't stopped because it never started because of the robust, program Halliburton had put in place from their prior FCPA enforcement action around uh, having commercial agents. The company, I think, had made clear that they were not looking to put on additional commercial agents, and when they explained the process to the uh, business folks on the ground, that's really when they switched their, uh, their thought uh, or decision-making calculus to maybe have this person come in through the supply chain side of things uh, rather than the um, sales side of things. So once again, for the compliance practitioner, I think it's important to understand that uh, this might be a way that uh, business folks would try to circumvent internal controls and that yeah. uh, compliance needs to have visibility over uh, people that represent the company, whether they come in on the sales side or what do they come in on the supply chain side of things. In terms of the internal controls I thought it was instructive in the number of ways internal controls were circumvented by the local uh, Halliburton business folks. Uh, There was a uh, requirement that uh, any supplier had to be uh, uh, competitively bid, and that uh, requirement was uh, circumvented. There was a requirement, uh, an allowance for a sole source um, supplier if that Uh, supplier was uh, demonstrated to have technical or or other specialized expertise which could not be found through a competitive bidding process. Uh, That control was um, circumvented. There was a specific uh, review by uh, Halliburton on uh, Halliburton uh, corporate office personnel on the services which the third party was to deliver. And basically it was uh, determined that uh, Halliburton itself could have provided the same or similar services uh, at uh, a much cheaper rate. So uh, sort of that requirement was circumvented. All that led to what you have described, Matt, which was uh, a problem, uh, or really a solution in search of a problem. And that uh, solution was here is the person we're going to use for our local content, and we've got to (coughs) find a way to uh, ram them through the system so that we can uh, execute a contract with them unfortunately, it turned out for Halliburton that a contract was executed before the uh, senior management overrode the internal controls and approved the contract. So we had a contract entered to in September with payments made through December. Uh, In December, the contract rate was increased, and shortly thereafter, there was a contract approval for uh, the uh, supply chain uh, on the supply chain side of things. So uh, numerous Circumvention or overriding of the uh, internal controls. We had uh, management override of the internal controls. There is a provision, of course, that management could override the internal controls with appropriate documentation uh, as to why that was not uh, uh, in the uh, settlement document. So I think we can it's fair to assume that that didn't exist either. Um, so I I just felt like this case presented numerous lessons to be learned by the com- for the compliance practitioner and the detail the SEC went into in each one of the not necessarily bribery schemes but the internal control circumvention i think would help the compliance practitioner under- understand the interrelatedness of these controls and how um, controls not only must be tested uh, for their effectiveness but you have to have other forms of cross verification uh, such as uh, whether uh, using internal audit to see who's being paid uh, if that company hasn't gone through the appropriate uh, internal controls uh, process for approval.
1: You know, one thing that I that caught my, my eye about this was um, the point you raised that this original Angolan agent who wound up causing so much trouble for Halliburton, he was originally going to be flagged as a commercial agent that wasn't going to work, and then presto, he becomes a supplier, and now we're off to the races with this uh, internal controls failure and the FCPA problems. Um, I think it reminds us that we talk about third parties very casually and shorthand in corporate compliance, and it is worth remembering the third party is a collection of people or persons, or maybe even just one person, but um, you know, basically, you're not doing due diligence check on just the corporate entity that may or may not be working with you as a supplier or an agent. You want to know who's that guy or woman. On the very rare case, I've encountered fraudsters who are women. Generally, it's going to be men, but who's the person? Because we should have been able to flag you, and now that you've popped up as a supplier, well, we flagged you already, sir, and why are you here? Um, I know that in other parts of the world, the, the way these procurement cycles and sales agents' distribution, the way this works can make that risk, that one one specific person suddenly transforms into a different corporate entity. That can happen very easily. Uh, it, for example, I know in China, when someone moves from the rural areas to the urban areas, they very often change their name. So you might have one person who could be circulating under two different names, and it becomes very easy for somebody to kind of flit back and forth between identities. And compliance programs need to be able to catch that and pierce that. Um, how well does that point fit here? I have to admit, I, I don't know all the full facts, but you know, if Halliburton had flagged John Doe, when he was a commercial agent and said no, there should be a permanent red flag attached to his theoretical head when John Doe now st- crops up as a supplier or anything else. Maybe it would be legit, maybe not, but we should know that once this guy turns up again, let's zero in on him. Um, I also thought that it was a great point you raised about management override of internal controls. Um, look, management override does happen and in many times it's appropriate however it does need to be documented and we do need some catch mechanisms to be able to be sure that the right manager is overriding the right controls you know and certainly that's not what happened here uh that Mr. Lorenz was overriding internal controls or somehow evading them all the way through and nobody caught that nobody noticed it or if they did notice it wasn't documented as to why they thought it was okay but, um, you know, here we are. But there, there are many different fine points of policy, procedure, what are our controls to make sure these policies and procedures are followed, meat and, you know, bread and butter stuff for compliance programs that did not happen here with Halliburton. So it certainly is worth a close read if anybody uh, is looking to dive into this.
0: And the, um, um, the requirement of, uh, for local content, as I mentioned uh, in sort of my opening remarks, this is something that we see in many places across the globe. And so uh, there may be times where you would overpay or pay a third party, a local third party, um, more than it might cost internally. And I find that appropriate in these types of situations. But once again, I think the key is to document that. Another mm-hmm. uh, issue not really addressed at all in this in this particular um, enforcement action is in some countries, and probably Angola is as good an example as is any, there's a relatively small cadre of technically proficient uh, people in the country. Um, literally, uh, very few have gone outside the country for a professional education. And so the people who are available to you as uh, potential third parties, whether they be sales agents, whether they be third-party suppliers, Um, whatever their uh, classification might be, uh, there's a really um, symbiotic relationship with the government. They move between government jobs and the private sector with some ease, uh, certainly more ease than than perhaps here in the United States, and with a country dominated by one energy company such as Sonagal dominates Angola, and really the dearth of professional Angolese, Angolanese, uh, who uh, work for Sonegal or in the private sector, you're going to have uh, a, a group of people who've been government employees that perhaps multiple times and have help, held multiple roles in the government. And they may now be in the private sector. And that may present challenges for you, but I'm firmly convinced that if you make the business case for hiring this third party at this time for this contract and document it, that uh, I think the government will give that a fair hearing, and I certainly think that uh, from what we've seen this spring in terms of the declinations, uh, both the uh, or at least the Department of Justice is willing to uh, to take a look at that once again if you have made that documentation and have transparency up front.
1: I wholly agree. Um, it's a little simplistic to say that regulators are are human beings too, and they can appreciate the complexity of cases, but that is true. And uh, it's certainly something that you are going to encounter if you're working on complex projects in emerging markets, that you've got a lack of skilled labor. And why wouldn't skilled labor who is in that market also going to work for that government regulator? Um, To a certain extent, it's not much different than regulators here in the United States who then drift off to work for you know either law firms, big four accounting firms, they work at corporations running financial reporting or something like that. It happens here, it happens there. The key is just can you justify this and will you go through that actual exercise of justing justifying it and documenting it? And if you do, I I am hard-pressed to believe a regulator is going to turn around and say, well, tough luck. We just don't like it on principle. Here's your penalty. I, I just, I don't think that's true. And so far we haven't seen any evidence of it. So I, I think you're right on.
0: So Matt, I really found uh, quite a bit of uh, information in this enforcement action, uh, certainly quite a bit for us to talk about. Um, maybe uh, we could have a few words about the uh, individual fine and penalty uh, we had uh, what Uh, A fine of $75,000 for Janot Lorenz, and uh, I believe that's the highest individual fine of someone who has settled an SEC action. We've seen higher fines, but I believe those were uh, court-imposed. So this may be uh, the SEC communicating that they're going to take a very, very tough look at uh, individuals going forward, and they won't hesitate to uh, to levy a, a, a fine they deem appropriate as well.
1: And that does jive with uh, what others in the Trump administration, especially over in the Justice Department, what they've said about FCPA enforcement and corporate misconduct generally is that an actual person at the company has to do it, so why aren't we prosecuting the lawbreaker? This is the civil enforcement version of that idea. Um, I'm sure Mr. Lorenz is not terribly enthused about the record that he just set, but uh, nonetheless, If you are committing misconduct, then it's not unreasonable for the agencies to go after you vigorously. It sends a message. Let us also remember that there are other people out there who may be violating the FCPA right now, thinking, what's the big deal? What's going to happen to me? This could happen to you. Um, And I think it is also worth noting that SEC Commissioner Michael Piwawar, who was acting chairman from the trump administration until new chairman jay clayton took office i think in may but commissioner Piwawar, who is a hard conservative on many many issues and he is down the line you can pretty much guess what his attitude is going to be you know he gave a speech in february when he was acting chairman where he said companies have to comply with this law they disclose that this is an enforcement risk and once the risk is disclosed and investors know this kind of stuff might happen people who are said, I have no problem in assessing monetary penalties against companies for internal control violations because they've disclosed that that might happen. And if they do it, what do you think's going to happen, company? We're going to sock it to you. And it's it, certainly in Trump land now where we take very dim views. Are they ever going to assess any penalties anywhere? Well, occasionally, yes, they will. And this is what happened here. Um, so I think people should not just assume the, I guess, either the best or the worst, depending on your political point of view. But they should not assume that monetary penalties are going to go away just because the Trump administration is here. That's a monetary penalty. We're staring at it. And if you break these laws, you're still likely to face risks in enforcement.
0: Well, Matt, this has just been, a, for me, a fascinating uh, enforcement action to, to take a look at and dissect. I really appreciate your uh, insights into this. And I hope we get something juicy going forward so we can go into the weeds on the next one. This is Tom Fox. Again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate our podcast as it would help in our rankings and also help you get out the word about the only weekly podcast that takes a deep dive into a compliance or compliance-related topic. Also, if you have any questions, please feel free to email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. Thank you again for listening. I hope you will join us next week for our next episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network.